family and I, we are, we are very, very grateful, uh, very excited, we're honored, and uh, we are eager. We are eager to be here. Um, thank you for the grace and, and mercy and the understanding as well. Uh, there was uh, an anticipation of being here a little bit earlier than uh, what is now the case, but uh, we have a role to play in shepherding uh, St. Rock uh, during this transition period. And so we're trying our best to end things well uh, there. So uh, as uh, Pastor Stan has referenced, uh, uh, I'll be here, our family will be here most of the months uh, for an extended weekend, uh, each third uh, weekend. And uh, that'll be an opportunity to obviously preach and worship, but also to connect with the staff and uh, things like that. And by the way, I'm also very, very grateful for uh, members of the staff and also the session. Uh, they have been keeping me updated and informed on relevant matters. And so though I'm uh, away uh, physically, uh, my ears and eyes are to the ground uh, through them. And uh, so thank you so much uh, for that. Um, this past week has been, uh, or this past couple of days, uh, has been pretty good. Uh, my wife and I, we've been looking at some homes. And uh, so y'all please pray uh, that the Lord will guide that process. And we have been talking with some of the schools. Uh, of course, pray for that as well. One of the difficulties that we're running into is we don't have an address just yet. And uh, so some of the schools have informed us you, you need an address. And, um, uh, but the Lord is sovereign and we're going to trust and we're going to, to believe him. Uh, for this whole process. So again, thank you so much for your understanding, and thank you again for uh, the election. We are very, very grateful. Um, I didn't realize it'll be this cold, and uh, it is cold. <laughs> you know. 30 degrees in New Orleans isn't the same as 30 degrees in Baltimore. Uh, actually, when we left, it was 65 degrees. And uh, so it's been a while since I've lived in a very, very cold weather place, so it's going to take some time. But uh, may the spirit warm us up. <laughs> My assignment is quite an assignment on this morning. I have the responsibility to preach to you from Micah chapter 2, Micah chapter 2. Um, I won't go too much over the context, Pastor Stan, I thought, did a very good job as I listened to his sermon, uh, giving you an idea of the prophet Micah and his specific time, and if you weren't here for some reason, you can see that online, um, so I won't go too much over the context, I'll basically jump right into uh, chapter 2. And before we read, uh, let me just say a word about the title. The title uh, is simply uh, taken from the first word of this passage, and it's the word woe. The word woe. This is, a, this is not a good way or not a fun way, perhaps, to open up a message. Uh, this word uh, in its original signifies distress or despair, and uh, whoever the recipient of the woe is, uh, 
good news, or rather bad news, is just around the corner. Um, it's kind of like, um, uh, I don't know if this is the case with you, but I know from certain experiences I've had, if someone comes up to you and says, we need to talk, uh, that phrase lets me know there's something around the corner that may not be pleasant. Uh, it's not always the case. But whenever this word woe starts things off, uh, there's some trouble around the corner. And just a word up, in addition to that, uh, this is a very complicated text as well. Uh, many interpreters have difficulty deciphering um, who's communicating at various portions in this text. Obviously, it's uh, Micah's prophecy, but uh, there are a number of folks in the portion of Scripture who could be the ones that are speaking. But may the Lord guide us in this effort as we look through his text. Amen? Let me ask the Lord's blessings upon the word, and then we'll go from there. Father, we thank you now for this opportunity uh, to look into your word. And Father, we pray that your spirit would give us eyes to see, your spirit would give us the ears to hear. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that our hearts would be softened and that they would be in a position to be molded, however you see fit, uh, through your word. Father, enlighten us now. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Micah chapter 2. Uh, beginning at verse number one, hear uh, the words of the prophet Micah. He says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in their power, or rather it is in the power of their hands. They covet fields and seize them in houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks. And you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly, and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate, he allots our fields. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children, you take away my splendor forever. Arise, go from this, uh, arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of the uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. 
If a man should go about and utter wind and lie, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. I will assuredly assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a flock or like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes before them. They break through and pass the gate. Going out by it, their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. I don't know if that's an amen or oh boy. (laughs) But because it is the word of the Lord, we will say amen. 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 And thank you, Pastor Stan, for this assignment, by the way. (laughs) I will do my best to uh, try to break down uh, a little bit of what's going on specifically in this passage, and then after which we'll run to uh, some things that we can glean as a church and as a people. So off the top, you will notice that this is a woe oracle. As I have referenced, whenever you hear that word woe, uh, some difficulty is right around the corner. Apparently, the prophet Micah is talking to a group of folks. Most commentators believe that these were wealthy people. These were folks who had means and Uh, political power, economic power, uh, they had uh, advantages over uh, a certain group of folks who did not. And these folks who were well off, uh, according to verse number one and verse number two, uh, they took advantage of people. As a matter of fact, they, they spent their time plotting and devising and thinking about ways in which they could take advantage of the less fortunate. They took from the less fortunate their fields. They took their houses. Uh, They oppressed folks. Again, according to verse number one and verse number two. Uh, These were folks who were guilty of breaking many of the commandments, specifically the second table of commandments. These were powerful people, and yet they were very much folks guilty of oppression. And so verse number one and verse number two, again, focus upon the wickedness and the evil that these oppressors uh, inflicted upon folks. Now stay with me because I'm going to try to break down. There's quite a few verses. I'm going to try to break them down uh, in, in, in good time, and then we'll deal with some major points. So verse 1 and verse 2, again, deals with the wickedness of the oppressors and how they devise against the less fortunate. You move on to verses 3 through 5. We see here the Lord Almighty himself, just as the oppressors devised against the less fortunate, verse 3 through 5 shows us how the Lord will devise against the oppressors. In other words, to you who are, are oppressing the people, know that God will devise 
disaster over against you. And this will be a disaster according to verses 3 through 5 in which the people will not be able to do anything to get themselves out of. It is a disaster in which God himself is very much involved. Now, shifting to verses 6, verse 7, and you can also throw verse number 11 in there. You have what I have put in my notes, the preferred preaching of the oppressor versus the inspired preaching of Micah. So in verses number six and seven, the people are in essence saying, don't come to us, Micah, saying the things that you are saying. God would not say such things. Don't come and, and, and tell us that disgrace uh, will overtake us. Do not come and try to present the Lord as having grown impatient with us. As a matter of fact, this happened uh, in various other uh, portions of Scripture, Jeremiah to be exact. When that prophet goes out and he preaches and, and uh, the false prophets try to say the opposite message. Well, that is what is happening here. The folks, the oppressors, they did not want to hear what Micah said. Their theology did not allow for such. But yet, we know that Micah is not proclaiming the words of a man or of a woman, but he is proclaiming the words of Almighty God himself. So this you will see in verses 6 through 7. In verses 8 through 9, you get a further glimpse of oppressive action. Now, Again, we're we'll, we'll start getting into some of the complicated portions of this verse. But in these verses, you will see actions that are committed against unsuspecting travelers. Folks who would be traveling through uh, Israel and Samaria, and they would be robbed and uh, unfairly treated by these oppressors. And then also uh, the women uh, were afflicted by these oppressors, the children also suffered at their hands, according to verse number 8 and 9. Now, in verse number 10, and again, are you staying with me? I'm kind of moving quickly, just trying to give a quick breakdown. Are you with me? Trust me, we'll get to, to the bigger points, but I want to make sure you understand what was being read. In verses 10, in verse number 10, uh, this is, uh, you have a variety of opinions. Uh, there are many interpreters who believe that uh, this is the oppressors speaking in this verse, and if it is uh, them speaking in verse number 10, uh, when they say arise and go, for this is no place of rest because of uncleanness that destroys with the grievous destruction. If the oppressor is saying this, then they are tricking the people, trying to get them to leave so that they can take over their land and their homes. There are good scholars who believe that. But there are also good folks who believe that this is Micah saying this on behalf of the Lord. And if that is the case, then this signifies the deplorable spiritual condition of Israel. They have fallen. And I tend to take that particular view. But again, good people take different views. This is not an easy passage to read and interpret. And then you come to verse number 12 and 13, and we get a glimmer of hope. It's rather odd that this is 
thrown in this particular passage. Uh, but nonetheless, you get a glimmer of hope. And uh, in this particular hope, it, it looks forward to a day in which those who have suffered, those who have gone into exile, those who have uh, been mistreated, they will be gathered by God himself. And they will be led by him into a safe place, so to speak. So this is somewhat of a glimpse of what is happening in the verses that we have read. And while there are a variety of ways in which we can look at some of these particular verses, there are a few things that are very clear. The first that I would like for us to consider is God's attitude toward oppression or oppressors. I don't know, I don't know if there are things that just um, drive you insane, if I may say that. You know, this is nowhere near the mood of this passage, but, but when I was looking at it, uh, you know, uh, I'm the type, I, I despise when you go to uh, uh, the gas station, and now they, the way they have it set up, they have the pump where you can pay everything outside, and, and I'm the type, I need my receipt. So I'm pumping the gas and I'm pumping the gas and everything is going fine. And then it says, do you want your receipt? And I say, yes. And it says, go inside. <laughs> Could have did that from the start. And, and that's just a, a little pet peeve, but it's something that I just, Lord have mercy. What's going on here? <laughs> Who's running this gas station? And and, and I, I do the same thing whenever I drop food. Lord, what was wrong with me? And, and, I, and I don't know what it may be with you, but there are certain things that just, you know, for my wife, she can't stand when the kids are at odds with one another. And they're fighting, and, and it just drives her up the wall. What is God, what is it that drives the Lord himself? What is it that makes him uh, if I may put it this way, what, if it, what is it that, that, that makes his uh, blood boil, if I may say? According to Micah, according to the other prophets, the Lord, who is love, hates sin. He hates oppression. He despises unrighteousness and wickedness and at the hands of those from which it comes. Now, it's important for us to understand this because if we are the people of God, the things that bother the Lord himself, should they not trouble the folks who are being conformed into the image of Christ? We cannot idly sit by as, as, as the people of God. We cannot sit by emotionless, uh, when we see injustice, when we see wickedness prevailing. One of the things that, that, that troubles me, and I think perhaps it may trouble some of you all as well, you know, and I live in a neighborhood where, where, where there's crime and there's violence and things of that nature, and one thing will happen, and the next day everything will go back to being just like normal. And it's rare when there's an outcry. There's rare when folks will come out in the street and say something against it. Well, brothers and sisters, the Lord, he despises evil. 
he despises oppression. He despises wickedness. So much so that he sends Micah to declare a woe on it. May our hearts, may our minds, may our attitudes reflect that of the Lord's when it comes to oppression. The second thing that I want us to keep in mind, it's one thing when we think about oppression and injustice that happens outside of the four walls of the church. But it's a whole nother ball game when oppression and injustice enters the four walls of the church. I would remind you, who is it that Micah is talking to? Who is the primary audience of Micah's prophecy? He's not spending the majority of his time uh, assailing the oppression that the Assyrians would bring. He's not spending the majority of his time talking about the oppressions of the Babylonians or the Egyptians. The majority of his message is geared toward the folks who claim the covenant status. Whether or not they truly believed or, or in, the, in the Lord is one thing, but nonetheless, these are the folks who are a part of God's covenant people. And it is to the injustices that this group of folks were committing, that's whom the woe oracle is geared to. Jesus reminds us that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. Jesus reminds us that there will be a day in which the goat will need to be separated from the sheep, while in the meantime they may be intermingling with one another. In other words, brothers and sisters, we cannot stand idly by, and we, or rather we must be very, very careful that we are not guilty of oppressing our neighbors. We must be very, very careful of making sure that we are not doing wrong. In this text, it references the, the unsuspecting travelers. Uh, it references the women. It references children. Uh, we must be careful that oppression and injustice is not being had through the hands of the church. And this should not be a surprise if we were to look over church history. For in church history, there are ample, there's ample evidence in which whether or not church thought they were doing wrong, wrong was being committed. Obviously, we talk about issues of race. You can go back to the Protestant Reformation, and of course, uh, there are issues there. And whether or not you agree on some of the points that were brought, the church does have a history in which it needed to be reformed of certain things. And we must ask ourselves, Lord, make our eyes to see any injustices that we may be committing. And if there are, may we repent. The third thing. Are you all with me so far? The third thing, God is mindful of the oppressed. The fact that God references the people who are not only uh, doing the oppression, but the people who are experiencing the oppression lets us know that this stuff, this injustice, this oppression does not escape the gaze of our sovereign and almighty God. 
you will remember the story of Cain and Abel. When Abel is killed at the hands of his brother, and the Lord shows up and says that the blood of your brother is crying out to me. You will remember when God's people were in slavery in Egypt, and the Lord looked down upon his people and remembered their oppression. In other words, brothers and sisters, it is good to know that God is mindful of, the of those who are being oppressed. This is why the scriptures tell us we need not worry about seeking revenge, because revenge is the Lord. This is why we are told that we can be forgiven. This is one of the reasons why we uh, can forgive. Obviously, we want the Lord to forgive us, but we know that the situation that has befallen us is ultimately in the Lord's hands. And I don't know if you have felt oppressed or if you have felt done wrong against or if you know someone along those lines. But it is good to know that God notices such. In this passage, specifically if you look uh, through various portions of it, but also in verse 12 and 13, the Lord is reminding specifically the oppressed that there will be a day in which he will come and he will lead them out of such oppression. He will lead them out of the horrible, deplorable state in which they will find themselves. And of course, for those who are willing to repent, obviously they're going to go into exile, but for those who are willing to repent will also experience the mercies of the Lord's hand. This is not a difficult, or this is rather not an easy uh, oracle to embrace. But if we are to do justice as we walk through this passage of Scripture, brothers and sisters, again, let us be reminded that God despises, God hates evil. He does not sit idly by while it goes on. He notices it, and it pains him. And so should it pain the church. Number two, let us make sure that we are being careful, that we are praying, and that we are searching our own hearts and making sure that we are not being uh, considered oppressors of any sort. And thirdly, let us be mindful that God is mindful of those who are oppressed. As I close, brothers and sisters, the prophets ultimately looked forward, not to the Lord delivering folks from uh, exile, which that would be a part of it, but the, the prophets wanted folks to walk in the ways of God. They wanted folks' hearts and minds to, to be aligned with uh, the covenant. Because when the prophets came, they spoke out on how the people transgressed God's covenant. But they looked forward to a day in which there would be a Messiah, there would be one who would come, who would take upon himself the judgment that we deserve, but also provide the hope that we desperately needed. Whether or not you have oppressed someone, whether or not you have stolen someone's home, whether or not you've taken someone's land, no, no, no matter what, uh, whether or not you've done these things, we are all guilty of something. 
So Christ says, if you have broken but one portion of the law, you are just as guilty as having broken all of it. None of us can stand idly by and say, I'm glad Micah's not talking to me. None of us can stand idly by and say, well, I'm glad I wasn't living in the days of Jeremiah or Isaiah because I wouldn't have done that. There is a word of judgment for all of mankind. But praise be to God that we have a God who is not only hates sin and evil, but we have a gracious and merciful and loving God. For those who are willing to repent and acknowledge their sin and the things that they have done, know that you need not despair. For if God shows up with a woe, there is a grace, there is mercy on the other side. But it is for those who are willing to acknowledge their sin. It is for those who are willing to embrace the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I would remind us. Well, one of the things I struggled with this passage, and I talked with Pastor Stan and Brother Rumid, and, you know, where I, in New Orleans, I, I have no problem letting the folks sit in a woe sometimes. <laughs> Something is going on. There's some trouble. And, and, and we need to hear the words, Lord, and, 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 and folks are, are, are eager to get to that good news and the gospel, and, and, and rightly so. We need to get there. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes you need to sit in that mess and reflect. You know, I, I recall, and sometimes we do this to our own children. Go sit in your room and think about what you did. And I did this to Langston the other day, and I said, go sit in your room, and, 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 and when you stop crying and when you start thinking about what you did, then we'll talk about it. And, and he, every five seconds, can I come out now? Can I come out now? No, sit in there and think about it. And I said, well, Pastor Stan, this is just my second sermon. I don't know if I can have people sit in a woe. <laughs> I need a few sermons. I need people to get used to me. But there are glimmers of hope in this passage. And while the woe is heavy, and I would encourage anyone who needs to hear a woe in their life to embrace the woes, know that there is grace, know that there is hope, know that there is mercy. For the prophets proclaimed not just judgment, but they proclaimed hope because God is faithful, God is just, but he's also merciful. And so let us be grateful for such a God. Amen? Amen. Father, we look to this passage. And Father, we confess, or at least I confess, that it is not the easiest to think through. It is not the easiest uh, to embrace. But Father, we ask that your spirit would work upon our hearts and our minds as we reflect further upon this passage. Father, make our hearts to despise injustice, oppression, wickedness. And while we are not you, 
Father, we are being conformed into the image of your Son. And Father, may we uh, feel uh, as you do as it relates to these matters. Father, we confess and we ask that uh, as a church, as an institutional church, uh, wherever we may see deeds of injustice or oppression that's coming from our own hands, Father, may your spirit reveal that via your word. And Father, may we reform our ways. And Father, we are so grateful that you are mindful of the oppressed. When we feel like we have been done wrong against, we're grateful to know that it is in your hands. We are grateful for hope. We are grateful for mercy. We are grateful for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who brings all of these matters together upon the cross. Thank you for him taking our woe upon him. And thank you for giving us the hope that only he can provide. May we walk in these great truths. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.